Let us continue in our note of prayer. Our gracious Father, we do not live in the day when our Saviour walked the streets and healed the sick, but we bless Thee that he's with us in spirit. And the sickness he will cure is deeper than the skin. And we have sung, we believe with all our hearts, that most of us are conscious of wrong within. And I touch us still its ancient power. And we pray thee even through the meditation upon thy word this evening, healing may flow out to every one of us. For this book represents thee on earth, and the more we understand its teaching, the more we see it describes some of thy beauty and wonder, thy grace and thy power. We thank thee from the bottom of our hearts, without Pharisaic pride, that we're not numbered among those who tear thy book to pieces, who criticise its teaching but who bow in the presence of all scripture, conscious that we are handling a sacred thing which our Saviour himself endorsed in life by the time and date and place of his birth through the things that he said and did until he reached Calvary to fulfil it and to be raised and seated at thy right hand. And every movement from the cradle to the right hand, endorsed by thy wondrous word. We do thank thee that this little chapel stands unshaken in its belief in all scripture being given by inspiration of God. And we pray thee that as the darkness may come down upon this earth, and as the time draws near when the end approaches, and it may be more difficult for thy children to withstand the temptations and attacks of evil, or grant that they may all be given grace sufficient to stand fast and hold fast the faithful word. Be with us tonight, we pray thee, and let thy light shine upon thy truth, and where the human instrument may be faltering and failing, grant, O Lord, that through the very falterings may stream through the pure light of thy word. Help us, we pray thee, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ again this evening, and we shall be satisfied. We ask it all for Christ's sake. Amen. This is the recording made in the chapel of the open book, and it is number three of a series called Spotlight. We explained, and I think it explains itself, that the spotlight may light on this passage or that passage. There's no evident connection between one subject and another. And the spotlight this evening is turned upon Isaiah 53. Not that we're going to deal with the whole of that glorious chapter, because the spotlight is focusing upon two aspects of truth which is embedded in it. We do have chapter and verse for the fact that Isaiah 53, without the possibility of doubt, speaks of our Saviour. We have in the Acts of the Apostles, 
Philip, preaching unto him from that self-same passage, Jesus. And we have our Saviour quoting from Isaiah 53 and saying the things concerning me have an end. They're written there. I suppose none of you had any very great difficulty in finding Isaiah 53. You say, well, what are you talking about? Of course, it's easy. But don't you see, it's only easy because somebody about three years ago went to the terrific slaving job of going through the manuscript and solidly working out chapter and verse. Oh, it's so easy today. But you see, you read, I think it is in Mark's Gospel, in the bush. Well, that's not referring necessarily to what was said in the bush. It's referring to that section of the Old Testament in Exodus, which for convenience sake was called the bush. Now, you fancy having to turn to your scriptures and find all sorts of passages like that. Let's be thankful for some of those who've laboured before and made it possible for us to use concordances lexicons and find Isaiah 53 quite easily. But, oh yes, there's always a snag, isn't there? But, the man who did it, or those who helped him, were not infallible. They're almost like me, because I'm not quite infallible, friends, really, truly, although you may not believe it. And occasionally, you see, they drew the line across the wrong piece. Well, the spotlight has illuminated that this evening. Look at the last chapter, the last verse of this chapter. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. So there's a conqueror, dividing the spoil. And then it goes on to say, because he poured out his soul unto death, and so on. But first of all, the conqueror. Well, there's not much of a conqueror in Isaiah 53 as you read it down. But strictly speaking, the passage begins in the last verses of chapter 52. The line ought to be drawn at the end of verse 12. And then it says, Behold my servant. And that servant is again before us in Isaiah 53. He's introducing him here, Behold my servant. He should be exalted and extolled and be very high. But what's the difference between being exalted and extolled and being very high? Well, I suppose no essential difference, but if you say it three times over, some folks may begin to think you mean it. This is the high exaltation of our Saviour envisaged by this prophet. He should be exalted. He should be extolled. He should be very high. Now we come to a figure that you want to keep in mind. You've had them brought before you before. The as and the so. Verse 14, as. Verse 15, so. Otherwise, you won't quite get the point. And then secondly, the word sprinkle. The word sprinkle is put in the margin of the revised version as startle. And the reason is that the sprinkle means to spurt and to jump. And that means if a person sprinkles, 
This is not sprinkling with something, it's a person who's sprinkled, he's tarfled. That would be the good English version for it. So now let's look here. As many as were astonished at thee, so shall they be startled many nations. Now what comes in between? Well, they were astonished because his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. But he's going to startle many nations. For that one who was despised and rejected of men is to be exalted and extolled and be very high and kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? You see, if you start straight off with Isaiah 53, you know it's scripture. Who hath believed our report? What report? Well, it might be anything, but this is the report. Who's believed it? Who could believe that that person who walked the earth with a visage more marred than any man, we saw no beauty in which should desire him, that he was going to be extolled and exalted and be very high and divide the spoil with the great? Well, very few would credit that unless they were given grace by God. So now we have in the beginning of Isaiah 53, sounds a bit Irish, in the end of chapter 52, which balances the end, verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, the conqueror. The kings are going to acknowledge at last that he is such. Well, that was only one aspect of the spotlight. It just quivered over those two little bits like that, you see. But it focused on verse um, 6 and verse 12 in another way and brought to light the fact that one Hebrew word is used in both verses. Now, it wants a bit of finding to look in the English. Let's read verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, one word there in verse 6 is repeated in verse 12. Let's read it. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. It's not easy to guess, is it, what the word is that's repeated in those two verses. I'll give you the actual word, so that if you wish to look it up afterwards, you can do so. It is the word P-A-G-A, as it's spelt in English letters, Pega. The same word. Now let's see where the balance comes. I'll read verse 6 again and put the emphasis upon the word. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath made to meet. The Lord hath made a meeting place on him for, our, for the iniquity of us all. And you know where that meeting place was? It was at the cross. Now, the 12th verse. He was numbered with the transgressors 
and he bare the sin of many, and he made a meeting place. The word intercession is the same word. For the transgressors. Here is repeated that which comes over and again in scripture, that the Lord who redeems, the Lord reconciles. So let's let's get that for our own good, shall we? And uh, while we're dealing with this, you might like to look at Isaiah 59, verse 16, just a way of confirming. Not that I think you doubt me. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. There's the same word. This intercessor. The one that comes in between. Of course, this is a most this is a most vital doctrine. I don't know whether it's right to say one doctrine is more important than another. Perhaps not. In a chain, every link is important. But redemption, by itself, could be illustrated by crudely like this. That the people of Israel, they had their Passover, they went through the Red Sea, and then Moses said, well, I've done all I can, now carry on, goodbye, and left them. They were led out. But where? Oh, no. No, no. Moses stopped with them. And he received further instructions to build a tabernacle and make a mercy seat and appoint a priesthood so that they could have that reconciliation element, the going in. And he says, there, God said, there will I meet with you. In the New Testament, we don't have an ark, literally, but we have what it means. And we have this great emphasis in the New Testament there is one God, a one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And any attempt to remove the mediator is fatal. Neither you nor I nor anybody can enter into the presence of God without Christ. It will be just asking for destruction. Our God is a consuming fire. And it's only because we are in him. It's only because he died to put away our sin. He gave us a perfect standing. He made us complete in him. And he will present us spotless in that holy presence that we can dare hope for glory. That's the intercessor. So you see, it's an important subject that we might rejoice in and have rejoiced in for years, but I'm very sure nobody in this congregation is saying, well, we don't want to hear that again. I rather think we shall be like the children who say, tell me the old, old story, for I forget so soon. Isn't it so? Well now, would you glimpse that one or two passages which seem, which seem to uh, carry this thought through and come straight away to our own epistle. I hope someone will give me the time because I have a watch that's a bit erratic tonight, I see. The um, folks who are doing the tape recording will do some switching of the lab for me, so don't worry. Ephesians chapter 1. It says here in verse 7, In whom we have redemption, through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins. That word forgiveness, in the Old Testament translation, is the word for the day of the Jubilee. When every, every bond person went out free, when every debt was cancelled, freedom, they go out. But, you know, we, in our own history, in our own times, a person who is just set free, and that's the end of it, may get into the most terrible difficulties. Look what's happening now in Africa. Their idea of freedom is, as soon as they get it, to rob the white man's house, his wife, his children, his possessions, and murder and slay. That's not freedom. But that's because they haven't got the other side. God who leads out, leads in, to make it a completion. So here we have in chapter 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, redemption leading out. But in chapter 2, we have, um, well, we've got the argument in chapter 2, verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes are far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So you're not merely left on the shores of the Red Sea, I wonder where you're going. Who was it that led the children of Israel into the land of promise? Moses? No. Joshua. And why stress Joshua? Because that was the name of our Saviour. We call him Jesus, because that's the way the Greeks pronounced it. So that in the epistle to the Hebrews, we've got one verse that says, if Jesus had given them rest, he wouldn't have spoken of another day in David, and people puzzle over that. They say, well, what could that mean? Jesus before David? Oh, that's Joshua. Our Saviour's name was Joshua. And the history of Israel, from that point to the end of the Old Testament, is begun and ended with Joshua the captain at the beginning, and in the Minor Prophets, Joshua the high priest at the end. He failed badly, but he was a symbol. And so we have this spotlight. But in Isaiah 53, first of all, there was a meeting place for our sins. And then he made a meeting place for us poor, yet gloriously reconciled sinners. I'll just give you two passages where this word sprinkle occurs in the Old Testament with a little different meaning so that you may see that it does mean this sort of startling or could mean so. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and you know where that book occurs just before Isaiah. It's rather a peculiar passage in our version. It says, Dead flies call the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savour, but the actual word is to bubble up, jump about and fizzle, like when it's fermenting. And again in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 6, Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, 
or the pitcher be at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern. There we have again a thought of something which is moving quickly, rushing. The idea of sprinkling is ruled out by practically every Hebrew scholar and translator that has picked the passage up after the authorised version. And as I say, the revised have put it in their margin. No cross, no crown, seems to be, nevertheless, why it's a trite saying, nevertheless a true one. And so far as you and I are concerned, we have the emphasis of the scriptures that he knows the way that we take for his trident himself. He was numbered with the transgressors. Fancy that. The Son of God, the spotless Son of God, was numbered with the transgressors that you and I might be numbered with the redeemed. So I felt this evening I would take this line, simple line possibly, the spotlight on Isaiah 53. Let me repeat. First of all, on the fact that to commence the section you must go back a few verses in the preceding chapter for the report that they could not quite accept is there. Kings they couldn't believe it. They were astonished to think that this person who had no beauty and nothing to commend him was going to be exalted and extolled to be very high. Who hath believed our report? And then we have the other side, he shall divide the spoil with a great. And another feature which we've stressed in one of our booklets, which we commend to you, most overwhelming thought, it says in Isaiah 53 that that Son of God who went through all that for us and we've got the remotest idea of the depth of his sufferings we can only stand at a distance and marvel. It says he shall be satisfied. I can understand that we can say as for me I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness but fancy our Saviour who died for us with all that shocking associations of cross and scourging and the crown of thorns and the ignominy of it all, he shall be satisfied. I commend this to you, that it's well worth pondering. And when we meet together some other time, I hope the spotlight will turn on another passage. I don't know what. But I do trust that as we meet together with these odd meetings, we shall find that anywhere scattered through the book, there are lessons waiting for us that are well worth the pondering. So I commend it to you. He is a double meeting place. A meeting place where our sins were dealt with. A meeting place where we shall be accepted. And of course, the first one must come first. I can't conceive that anybody in this meeting doesn't know that Christ is their Redeemer. There must be the meeting place of the sin and being put away righteously before there can be a meeting place for the sinner and be accepted by a righteous and a holy God.